Hey, this is Bridget. And this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now, today, we are talking about something that has come up a few times in a few different pop culture-related conversations. Yeah. And that is... The, the cool, cool girl. girl. Oh, Jinx. Yeah. <laughs> Another swear, Coke. <laughs> I swear we didn't we didn't plan that. We did not. That was totally natural and probably very uncool. It was uncool. We would not be cool girls. Um, so the cool girl has really been a kind of pop culture phenomena for a while. It was not invented by Jillian Flynn, but she sort of pioneered the concept. So who is the cool girl, Annie? What is she like? She's, quote, one of the guys, but she's still very undeniably sexy like I, we mentioned in the, the wedding episode, she's probably eating burgers and pounding beers, and she's just really relaxed and chill about everything. But cool girl is actually another way that women are held to absurd standards and expected to be everything, even things that are contradictory all at once, and I would say generally to please a man or a male gaze. Exactly, because if you're the kind of woman who crushes beers and eats cheeseburgers all day long— Odds are you maybe might have a harder time staying trim, but yet cool girl does so, and she does so seemingly without effort. So this is not the girl who puts a lot of of work into her appearance. She just magically is able to embody all these things at once. Yeah, and um, I think we see this character, this kind of trope, a lot of places, but recently with the help of Jillian Flynn, we kind of have a name for it. And I would also say it's kind of semi-related, not like those other girls, mm. which I have a friend, and I'm so glad she's, like, not that anymore, but she used to very much hate other women because mm. she was not like those other girls. Oh, my goodness. I mean, yeah. it, that comes up all over the place, but sort of owning my crap thing. I think I, in doing this research for this episode, I think I realized I am a recovering cool girl. Oh, really? Because I used to, men would sometimes say to me, you know, you're not like other girls, and I, I would take it... I'd be like, oh, well, thank you. And I, th- I thought it was a compliment. Right. And what's funny is now that if a man says that to me now, I say, oh, you're right. I'm much worse. <laughs> I'm oh, much, much worse. I love it. <laughs> and it's so dumb. I mean, I've def- I have definitely, definitely somewhere along the line in my teens or 20s said something like, oh, I'm not friends with women. Too much drama. Right. I, de- I definitely, definitely have said that. And also, I mean, I want to go back to like 19-year-old Bridget and say, have you ever read a history book? Because historically speaking, men be starting drama, wars, all of that. You know, what are you thinking? Right, yeah. I I sort of, I, I feel like that people see me as this cool girl, like I sort of touched on. And I probably have played it up without consciously knowing it, maybe, because it does feel like a, a safer, more well-liked way to behave in mm. public. Like you're going to generally... People are going to want to hang out with you if you seem chill and you're going to drink beer and eat burgers with them. Are you chill? I'm chill, but it's more like I just really don't want to have any kind of confrontation almost. You know what I mean? Like if we're arguing about something, especially politics, I will be there and I will argue. But like smaller things, I'm just going to be like, okay, whatever. I'm kind of like that too. I think that people who know me would probably think Bridget's super chill. But I think, and and this is something we get into in the episode, I think that sometimes being known as the person who kind of goes with the flow can be, and and I generally am pretty go with the flow, but being known for that can be a bit of a trap because then when you actually have a problem or actually have an opinion or actually 
have a strong stance about something or you have feelings about something that maybe are annoying or nagging or whatever. Yeah. You can feel obligated to not express how you're feeling because you've already built up this idea of being chill. And that's I think that's something that I definitely felt where, you know, oh, I've set the expectation that I'm very easy, go with the flow. Yeah. And I think for the most part, I tend to be pretty go with the flow. I'm making myself sound like a stoner or something, <laughs> but, you know, like I, I yeah. generally don't sweat the small stuff. But when I do, and everybody, chill, not chill, woman, man, whoever, we all have weird hangups and anxieties. And so when you find yourself feeling a hangup or anxiety, when you've been kind of wearing this label as chill girl, it can yeah. feel really hard to express that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, like, going back to my thing with the dishes, my 30-page essay about the dishes, that, that is an example of something where I hate doing dishes. It's one of my least favorite chores of all time. And you cook. Yeah. So there's always dishes. Right. And so if I just have this, I usually set up the expectation. If I cook, you're going to clean. That's just how it is. And I did feel kind of a pressure sometimes not to nag about it. Like, if I asked too many times... Then it became nagging. It wasn't cool. Like, I think you were cool. Come on. And that's why it built up to the point of the 30-page essay, I think, because I couldn't express it in a way that I thought would make me, like, shrill or nagging or something. Right. As women, it just goes to show how anxious we are about coming off as easygoing to the point where we won't even express reasonable conflict. And every interpersonal relationship is going to have disagreements. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to say, oh, I want you to do the dishes and he's going to forget or whatever. Like, like work relationships, friendships, family relationships, conflict is a normal part of interpersonal relationships. But I feel like as women, we are so afraid of seeming difficult, of seeming annoying, of seeming like a bitch, of seeming like a, a nag, a shrill, like so many different things yeah. that we will kind of sell ourselves out a little bit in order to keep the peace. And I've seen it myself. I mean, in doing the research for this episode, I was reminded of a time that I was sort of pretending to be the kind of woman who enjoyed sports. <laughs> and it ended with me. Did, have you ever been to a baseball game? Oh, yeah. Do you know they're like nine hours long? Yeah, they're very So long. this ended with me in the hot, hot sun for several hours. And this game, I don't think I, I was like, oh, how, how long could they be? An hour? You know, an hour and a half? Tops? I can do this. And in the middle of the game, I had, I had to come clean. I was like... Listen, I might, I got a level with you. I might have given you the false impression that I was down with this. I'm super not down with it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of here. <laughs> the guy was like, "You told me you loved baseball." <laughs> I really, it was. I when I found out, I was like, "Oh my god, we're gonna be sitting in the sun for." I just didn't know they could be that long. I, yeah. I'm not a baseball person. Right. I'm not a sports person. What can I say? You right. know? Yeah. I will say for me, when I was reading more about this. I don't want this to sound braggy because it's not. Uh, I get asked out a lot because I am, I think, seen as, oh, she she's one of the guys. She likes video games, all this stuff. But the, it always comes with this expectation that because I am the cool girl, sex is going to be, like, immediate. And uh, guys are always kind of upset and not cool with the fact that I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> because you like video games, dudes assume that you will have sex right away? Well, well, yes, that's it. <laughs> I think that must be it. No, but they, they assume, oh, she's... She's cool. She's one of the guys. Yeah, she must want to have sex as much as I do, and that she's not, even if she doesn't, she wants to be seen as cool. Like, maybe that you can see, maybe it's almost like you can tell. I, I'm not generally 
uh, I don't give in to pressure, but maybe there is that sense that guys feel like they can pressure someone who clearly does want to be liked, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily what's going on with me, but I think that it can be perceived that way so that you will just be like, okay, sure, we'll have sex. But that is something I've noticed <laughs> is getting asked out. And then sometimes it'll even be um, friends with benefits situation. Wow. Like I've been asked more than once by someone I assumed like we were just friends. Like, can we be friends with benefits? It seems like you're really cool. Which is an interesting part of it. First of all, that's a real Hail Mary ask. You know, just going to throw this out there. We're friends. Can I have sex with you? Question yeah. mark. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to hand it to him. He shot, he shot a shot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, and to the, to the dudes that asked me that, most of them were pretty cool when I was like, nope, not for me. And yeah, it's just, that's particularly not for me, especially... No offense to anybody, uh, not not with those fellows. <laughs> um, <laughs> Call them out by name <laughs> and be like, here's why I won't sleep with you, so-and-so. <laughs> just because we watch the Hulk together does not mean there's going to be a friends with benefits situation. Well, I think it really comes back to what you see around the discourse around cool girl, right? Yeah. The idea that you are put in a box. And so these men see you and they immediately think, she likes video games, she likes Star Wars, she is in this box, uh, and in that box is, you know, being okay with being friends with benefits or having sex right away or not wanting to get committed or whatever host of things men are including in that package when they find out about your interests. And so it really is an interesting dynamic because it just, it just almost is sort of dehumanizing and that it doesn't, it doesn't take into account the lovely and multifaceted and multidimensional, you know, person who is Annie, who is all these things. Oh, thank you. Yeah, but it's true, right? <laughs> yeah, like they're just it's very seeing you. They're seeing you in a, in a very one Like, you're like a fictionalized, a, a flat, yeah. one-dimensional, fictionalized version of yourself. Yes, that you see in media created mostly by men. And I will say a lot of this that we're talking about, like the, the drinking of beer and eating burgers and liking sports, those are all very masculine things. So by being the cool girl, you're cooler than, than women. You're kind of like... I, I'm on the same level. I like what you dudes like, and therefore I am better than these. Like, exactly. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because as a girl who likes rare burgers and drinks a lot of beer, no one is saying that women out there do not genuinely appreciate these things, yeah. even though those things are considered traditionally masculine. And if you do, you know, that like, I'm not saying that people don't exist who appreciate those things. Women don't exist. But what I'm saying is that we can't pretend like there isn't a attitude in society that says that if you're a woman who likes masculine things, you are better than women who want to drink Prosecco and watch The Bachelor. Right. Or you're, you're eating your salad. and Yeah, there's definitely kind of a, a signifier of it is cooler to do this sort of masculinized thing. Let's talk a bit about how Gillian Flynn describes Cool Girl in the book Gone Girl. So if you haven't read Gone Girl or I guess seen the movie, there might be some mild spoilers here. The main heroine or... I guess, anti-heroine, depending on how you look at it. I like her. I'm going to call her heroine. I like her. Um, she has her faults. She definitely has faults. <laughs> She's complex. She's cool. So yeah, that's a good euphemism. She's complex. Mm-hmm. Basically, the heroine of this movie and book, Amy Dunn, she kind of painstakingly creates this image of a cool girl in order to woo this guy, Nick. And so you think, like, oh, she's this very cool girl. She's chill. She isn't really that into commitment. She's, she's not possessive, all of this. And then later to come find out in the book, this is actually a carefully and painstakingly created 
version of what she thinks this guy wants and that she's very purposefully crafting it to sort of woo him. So here's, here's how Fun describes it. Men always say that it's a defining compliment, don't they? She's a cool girl. Being the cool girl means I am a hot, brilliant, funny woman who adores football, poker, dirty jokes, burping, who plays video games, drinks cheap beer, loves threesomes and anal sex, and jams hot dogs and hamburgers into her mouth like the world's biggest culinary gangbang. And somehow, while maintaining a size two, because cool girls are above all hot, hot and understanding. Cool girls never get angry. They only smile in a chagrined, loving manner and let their men do whatever they want. Go ahead, shit on me. I don't mind. I'm a cool girl. Men actually think this girl exists. Maybe they're fooled because so many women are willing to pretend to be this girl. For a long time, cool girl offended me. I used to see men, friends, coworkers, strangers, giddy over these awful pretender women, and I'd want to sit these men down and calmly say, you are not dating a woman. You're dating a woman who has watched too many movies written by socially awkward men who would like to believe this kind of woman exists and might kiss them. I'd want to grab this poor guy by the lapels with a messenger bag and say, that bitch really doesn't love chili dogs that much. No one loves chili dogs that much. And the cool girls are even more pathetic. They're not even pretending to be a woman they want to be. They're pretending to be the woman a man wants them to be. Oh, and if you're not a cool girl, I beg you not to believe that your man doesn't want the cool girl. It may be a slightly different version. Maybe she's a vegetarian, so cool girl loves Satan, and it's great with dogs. Or maybe he's a hipster artist, so cool girl is a tattooed and bespectacled nerd who loves comics. Sounds familiar? Yeah. (laughs) There are variations to the window dressing, but believe me, he wants cool girl, who is basically the girl who likes every thing he likes and doesn't ever complain. Yeah. I read that in its entirety. I'm sure people were like, please don't read the whole thing, but it just is so spot on. And I think so many women read that and thought, yes. Yeah. I remember, I think I saw the movie before I read the book, and Rosamund Pike plays the main heroine, anti-heroine. And I remember her reading this, and as, as it was going, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, yes. This was the first time I encountered the cool girl stereotype laid out like that. Mm-hmm. And I agreed so hard. Uh, if anyone hasn't read or seen the movie, or I, I would recommend it because then she kind of lets herself not be the cool girl. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so when I, the reason why I really identify with Amy Dunn in the book and movie, not because I'm a murderer <laughs> that, you, that you know of. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. Or am I? No, I'm kidding. But it's because I don't think I had seen it laid out that way. And in the book and in the movie. One of the central conflicts is that, and again, spoiler alert if you haven't read it or seen it, but one of the central conflicts is that Nick, her husband, falls in love with Cool Girl. And so Amy realizes she loves Nick back. And so she decides to show that that Nick can't be in love with this fake version of herself. Nick needs to see the real her. And so this point is sort of made more heavily in the book, but when she drops her Cool Girl persona, that's when Nick starts cheating on her starts, you know, what happened to the cool girl I married, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that she feels very betrayed that she showed herself to someone in a real way and that he didn't didn't love her back, that he, that he was more in love with this version of herself that she was pretending to be. And even though I am, I am not a murdering, a murdering person like she is, yeah. I definitely identified with that because, yeah, when you pretend to be the girl who wants to go to a nine-hour baseball game— the person that you're with is falling in love with that version of yourself. And so if that version of yourself isn't real, 
So if you follow that that trajectory, so let's, let's say that I ended up marrying that person, I have to pretend to like baseball forever. Yeah, it's only a matter of time until that, until it just doesn't work. And so it really crystallized the danger of buying into this cool girl, this cool girl narrative. Yeah, you you will be <laughs> trapped in a life of cooking and doing the dishes and pretending to be cool with it. Like, yeah, it's fine. You know, I don't mind. I love this. Yeah. This is a totally equitable division of labor. Yeah. <laughs> super chill division of labor we got here. I'm very cool about this whole thing. <laughs> Can't you see how cool I am? I know. You say that while you're, like, sweating and getting a nosebleed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, Annie, are you okay? <laughs> and Helen Peterson, who is basically the greatest of all time culture writer at BuzzFeed, whose work will be name-checked a ton on this episode, she actually argues that Clara Bow was the first cool girl. She writes, Clara Bow never stopped moving. On screen, in interviews, running from one date to the next. Even standing, she was like a toddler, constantly rocking back from heel to toe. She had short, flaming red hair, a thick Brooklyn accent, and horrible manners. Instead of dining with the stodgy Hollywood elite, she spent her weekends hanging out at the USC football games, flirting with the players, including a young pre-stardom John Wayne. Over the course of the 20s, Bao became the flapper par excellence. In films like Dancing Mothers, she drank and danced to Charleston and rode in cars with boys. In it, she became the world's biggest star and the first cool girl. We have some more examples of that and examples of sort of real-life kind of personas of cool girl. But first, we're going to stop for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Oh, set up this this thing for the rest of us. Megan Fox's character, Michaela, from Transformers, is another example. She's, oh, man, I still remember that scene where she's, like, she's helping fix the, the car. Oh, but she's got her ass out? Yeah. That's you how you know fix exactly that. what I'm oh, talking I about. I see, I can, like, when I think of Megan Fox, I think of that scene. Me too, me also, too. Also, is that really how you fix a car? You just happen That's to, like... How I fix a car. You just... Get your ass out there, and you look great, you know? Right, right, yeah. I mean, I thought that's the way. <laughs> Been doing it wrong much. my whole life. <laughs> Mila Kunis's Lily in Black Swan. She parties, drinks, and is a rare burger-scarfing ballerina. She was also, after this, I had my first sex dream ever after I saw Black Swan, and it was with her and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, wait, where did he come from? I don't know. Maybe I saw Inception around the same time. Interesting. I just think every time I think of Mila Kunis. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you're just like Natalie Portman because she has a sex dream about I, Mila Kunis. Oh, gosh. Now I'm the murdering <laughs> ballerina. One of us, one of this podcast duo is a murderer, is like a murderer. We're not going to tell you which one. <laughs> yeah, you'll come, to, you'll come to our meetup and then you'll be like, oh, I figured out who it was. <laughs> you'll know right away. You'll just get a as, sense in your bones. As you're being murdered. <laughs> we don't murder any listeners, our friends of the show. That's that's a rule that we have. <laughs> uh, Mila Kunis, I think, is she's done cool girl on a couple movies. She's also in, if you've seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall, she's a bit of a cool girl in that movie where Jason Siegel is dating his uh, co-star on some like cheesy show they work on together. And she's presented as the uptight girl who, you know, makes him hold her purse when she goes to the bathroom and that kind of thing. And by contrast, he meets Mila Kunis, who is, you know, free-spirited and doesn't even seem to carry a purse and has a picture of her, you know, 
exposing her boobs on a bathroom wall. Like, she just seems like someone who is much more chill unless the audience is supposed to root for him getting with her. And we sort of, in the movie, uh, Kristen Bell plays the, the the uptight blonde, and we're meant to see Mila Kunis as the woman that he's he's supposed to wind up with, the woman that's going to be perfect for him, simply because she is a foil for for Kristen Bell's character, who is the tight-ass blonde. And so it's interesting how movies just sort of use that as a shorthand. And I think Mila Kunis is the shorthand of chill girl in movies. She's also in those whiskey commercials where she's, you know, a, a sexy woman drinking a whiskey neat at the bar, very mysterious. I think she really kind of traffics in a kind of cool girl, cool girlism. She does. And two points on that is I think that you and I are sexy ladies who enjoy some whiskey at bars. But also, it's kind of funny because she got her start as, um, what's her name from that 70s show? Jackie, who is not a cool girl. Yeah, yes. Opposite of a cool but girl. In, but even then, it, it, like, I'm revealing how much I know about that 70s show because it's a really good show to watch when you're bored and trying to get to sleep, like on a plane. Okay. The foil for her as uncool girl is Donna, mm-hmm. Laura Prepon's character. So right. Donna doesn't wear makeup. She works for the radio station. Oh. She's in on all the hijinks. She shows her butt in the yearbook for a prank. Like, she loves pranks. Okay. So again, you can never have, in pop culture, I'm having like a revelation. It's like that same Madonna horror thing. You can never be a multifaceted person. You can either be cool or uncool. I think that as women, we are often put into one of two categories. And you can't have the uptight character who is a pain in the ass and is a drag without the sort of cool freewheeling person. It's like one doesn't exist without the other. Yeah. They have to, it's like a chemical equation. They have to balance each other out. There's something about Mary that coming up again in Stuff Mom Never Told You. Mary is a hot surgeon who thinks farts are hilarious, loves sports, wants nothing more than to wash down her burger with a, quote, real beer. Um, I I, uh, haven't seen that movie, but again, I can just get the, I got the vibe. Yeah. She loves golf and football. And Gillian Flynn actually noted in a Vulture interview that Mary, Cameron Diaz's character, was actually one of the inspirations for Cool Girl. She was watching that movie and she thought, wow, that's a cool girl. Then I thought, oh, right, she's been invented by guys. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, it's basically writers coming up with the fantasy version of the, the woman that they would like to exist. That is, like, you like everything that the dude likes, and you're not going to complain about anything. Um, It is very one-dimensional, which is kind of interesting. That Yeah, that's what people apparently want. I've often thought that straight men are taught that the best kind of partner is a partner that is sort of a mirror of themselves, like a projection of themselves. If you think about movies like 500 Days of Summer, you know, Annie's sex, like sex fantasy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's all happening! <laughs> hey, if you're out there, call my girl Annie. Hey, man, <laughs> you know where to find me. Uh, but no, he, he he falls for Summer because precisely because she likes all the same movies, all the same books, all the same crap that he likes, and they're in an elevator. He's listening to The Smiths, and she says, oh, The Smiths, I like them. Yeah. And he's like, oh, my God, she, a girl likes The Smiths? Can't Ka-poof. be. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's a big moment for him. And, and the movie is problematic for its own reasons, but I do think it does a good job of demonstrating that just because the woman mirrors your interests is not necessarily something to base a relationship on. And I think that we are taught that when you, if you meet someone who is a, you know, if you're straight and you meet somebody who is a, girl, like a woman version of yourself, oh, that's a that's the perfect partner for this guy. And actually, 
that's not necessarily how it works. No, not at all. And Flynn basically says that the cool girl is really about showing pressure that women deal with to be everything, everything to men. Quote, it also explains the tremendous pressure that's on women, not in a boo-hoo, poor us kind of way, but acknowledging that idea that, good God, there's something wrong with the fact that we're constantly willing to make ourselves over for men, that we're so interested in pleasing men in a way that men would never do for women. As she says, you don't see men suddenly becoming experts on Jane Austen and joining knitting clubs the way women will teach themselves something. I'm not saying all women do this or that just because a woman says she likes football means she's faking it. I love video games. I'd be really pissed off if someone said I loved video games because I was trying to be a cool girl. I can't think of too many instances where a guy has kind of cottoned on to my more, quote, traditionally feminine interest in the way that, yes, I have tried to like football. Um, I like beer. So I can, if beer is there, I can get on board with the football. <laughs> yeah. If beer is in the mix, I can, I can tolerate a lot of things. Even half a baseball game if beer is in the mix. But only half. Half. And I mean, no more. <laughs> sometimes they can be nine hours. There should be public service announcements on TV so that you, so people, you know, you commit to a baseball game, could be nine hours. People, I don't think that's, that's not common knowledge if you are not into baseball, that when you commit to watching a baseball game, you could be there for nine hours. We should record a PSA. Like <laughs> It's baseball season. <laughs> that means popcorn, peanuts, beer, but it also means nine hours in the hot sun. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if I had seen that, it would have saved me some time. You'd be like, oh, no, I can't do that. Thank goodness for that PSA. But I think, I think Flynn comes back to this again and again. She basically says, there's nothing wrong with trying to take an active interest in your partner's interests. But Flynn says if it's not reciprocal, we basically can sell ourselves out and lose part of our identity, which is exactly what happens in Gone Girl. In that Vulture interview, she says, I see so many couples where the woman goes out of her way to get why her boyfriend or husband likes certain things and tries to get involved in a way that is often not reciprocated. I think it's a very female trait to want to please men and to want to be considered the cool girl. And if you take that to the farthest reach where you're actually selling yourself out and degrading yourself by doing things you actually don't want to do in order for this man to think that you do, that's a very perverse thing. That's like, yeah, you win. Larry, tell her what she's won. She's won a lifetime of pretending to be someone that she's not and for someone to like her for all the wrong reasons. And that, I think, nails it, right? I don't want the kind of person in my life who only wants me because they think I like X, Y, and Z. And it's not fair to them and it's not fair to me. And I think when you parse cool girl aesthetic in relation to feelings and needs and commitment and all of that, I don't want someone to want to be in my life because I've learned to stifle all my anxieties, all my, all my uncool traits, all my hang-ups, whatever. I want someone who wants to listen to those things and is generally okay that I am a person who has feelings and those feelings aren't always chill, you yeah. know? I, I want someone who is okay with that. The kind of person that, that is only attracted to people who basically are not human, who are, you know, basically like sentient sex dolls or something. The kind of person who thinks that is their ideal woman isn't the kind of person that I want to be around. Yeah, and I, I remember, this, I feel like this is such a strong thing, even if, even if maybe we don't realize it, because I remember being in my first kind of serious relationship and trying for so long to pretend that I wasn't bothered by things. And then when I, I would finally start opening up about it, being so embarrassed that I was like a person that had things. You have feelings? Yeah. God. <laughs> I know. You haven't had What's them surgically removed? With me? <laughs> What's wrong with me? 
Only acceptable feeling is lust. (laughs) (laughs) And hunger for chili dogs. Yes, yes, exactly. And Flynn goes on to say that giving a name to cool girl syndrome is good if it helps us understand and talk about this pressure, this pressure that we put on women. Quote, I like that it's become kind of a shorthand. We all know what we're talking about when we're talking about cool girl. It's the putting up with machismo bullshit and smiling and nodding when you know better. And I said machismo. And you know what? I'm going to go with it. You know, you're, you're a, a human <laughs> with flaws. I'm a human with flaws. I'm cool sometimes, but not all the time. Honestly, you, I know you're kidding, but that's I think that you just hit something on the head right there, which is it's okay to be cool sometimes. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I'm cool. Yeah. Sometimes I'm not cool. Nobody is cool. Even Fonzie probably gets diarrhea every now and then. Nobody's, oh, yes. nobody's cool all the time. Yeah. Not even Fonzie. Yeah, um, I'm definitely like, I love burgers and beer and whiskey. And I just think that for me, it goes back to staying the size two, like staying super this idealized version of sexy while doing that. And I have a friend and I've over the years watched her kind of be the cool girl in public and then in private just struggle so hard to like maintain this weight. And it breaks my heart and I keep trying to I think she's coming around, but, I mean, there's a lot of things tied up into that, right? Because she thinks she has to look this certain way or guys won't find her attractive. She also thinks she has to behave this certain way mm. or people won't find her attractive. And and your worth is only in what that's too much pressure. men that's, think of you. That's yeah. too much. It's way too much. I oh Yeah, it breaks my heart because I feel like when you see someone who is a cool girl, the work they're doing, exactly, the work they're doing to do that, and, like, maybe the misery and all the brain power they're devoting to it outside of what you see. It's, yeah, it's too much. And that's why I'm pretty sure a cool girl doesn't really exist. I don't think cool girl exists either. I think we're all cool and uncool, you know, where as women, we are vast. We contain multitudes, you know. We, we can be cool and also have hang-ups, and that doesn't make us less cool. It just makes us human. You know, I look at, I think I I used to have real anxieties around liking things that were traditionally feminized, you know, The Bachelor, Rosé, whatever. I used to think, oh, it's those girly things. And yeah, you can be a cool person and still like to watch The Bachelor and drink sparkling Rosé. Like, people like what they like. We have taken gender performance to such a drastically bizarre level that people like myself, you know, smart with it people will on something because it's associated with femininity and not masculinity. And that's not that's not cool. No, that is not cool at all. <laughs> and it starts really <laughs> early because I remember in kindergarten, I don't know why this was happening, but there were cookies. And one was painted pink and one was painted blue. And we were all in a single file line and you get up the front and you say whether you wanted a pink cookie or the blue cookie. Now I'm wondering if this was some kind of experiment. But anyway, I got up to the front. The teacher was like, would you like blue or pink? I'm like, not pink, blue. Because I knew even at that young age... It was better to go with the masculinized blue, the masculine blue, and not the feminine pink. Wow. It starts It starts so early. It does. We've got even more stuff about the cool girl. But first, one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So we've talked a, bit, a little bit about some cool girls. I think that if there was a poster child for being an anti-cool girl, it's probably Anne Hathaway. I like Anne Hathaway, but people, I read a lot of interesting commentary that sort of says people don't like her because she seems like someone who tries very hard. And you can sort of see the 
artifice of her trying to be successful, and she is very successful, when it's women, we don't like that. We resent women who seemingly work very hard and care quite a bit about success. So if cool girl is this girl who doesn't care, effortlessly great, blah, 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 uncool girl would be someone who really cares. Yeah. Someone who maybe cares too much. She nags. She's very unchill. She tries too hard, and it shows. Cool is about effortless, and if it's not effortless, it's not cool. And so if Anne Hathaway is the archetype uncool girl, that would make the archetype cool girl Jennifer Lawrence. Yep. (laughs) I mean, she was for a while. Yeah. She's sort of backing away from that, I think, a bit, or at least trying to. Mm Mm-hmm. And I saw I saw this great tweet that I thought summed up kind of a bit about who she was for a while. If Jennifer Lawrence falls on the red carpet and no one's around to see it, is it still quirky? <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that. <laughs> yeah, kind of a weird personal experience thing for me is a couple of years ago, I dressed up as Anne Hathaway's Catwoman. Oh, I uh, forgot she was Catwoman! Yeah, and I, I mean, I was doing it because I was trying to find someone that I semi-looked like and... That fit the bill, and a lot of people said to me, like, I love Catwoman, but I hated Anne Hathaway as Catwoman. I thought that was really interesting. People really don't like Anne Hathaway. No, they don't. She's, yeah, the uncool girl. Whereas, yeah, J-Law's pretty much been the cool girl. She drinks. She swears. She trips on the red carpet. It's happened so many times. In this great Anne Helen Peterson long read on BuzzFeed about Jennifer Lawrence, people actually wonder if Jennifer Lawrence, and this is like Jennifer Lawrence conspiracy theories down the rabbit hole, but is she tripping on purpose because she knows people will make a gif out of it? And she wants to seem relatable, so she's doing relatable things, and it's her shtick. So we know Cool Girl is generally a performance, but if people can tell it's a performance, then it's really not Cool Girl because Cool Girls are effortless, and if you are putting effort into it, you are by definition not a Cool Girl. Right. It's a conundrum. Right. (laughs) This is the Cool Girl conundrum. Peterson writes, I'm not suggesting that Lawrence is intentionally inauthentic, scheming, or manipulative. Rather, like all the cool girls you know, she's subconsciously figured out what makes people like her, and she's using it. But is this persona truly cool, or is it a reflection of society's unreasonable and contradictory expectations of women? And I think that really does a nice job of nailing, one, why I think Jennifer Lawrence is such an uh, interesting example of cool girl— and two, how unfair it is that society puts women in these boxes. And I, I, I actually kind of feel bad for Jennifer Lawrence, that she's kind of figured out what made people like her and used it and more power to her, but then kind of got burned by that same thing. Like she, I kind of, I remember the moment when cracks started to appear in her cool girl image, and it was super unfair. So back in 2014, there was that big leak of all of these actresses' hacked photos. Uh, Someone illegally hacked into their iCloud accounts and released so much sensitive material, and it was awful. And it was a crime, and we should talk about it like it's a crime. It's not a scandal. It's a crime. You know, a cool girl, when that happened to them, they might have said, oh, who cares? I'm, you know, I'm chill. But Jennifer Lawrence was not chill. She was rightfully pissed. Yeah. She was royally pissed. Anyone would be pissed. But that's the rule with Cool Girl. Cool Girl is above all things never angry. And so that, I think, a lot of people, stupid people, were sort of not cool with her having a problem with this. Yeah. So here's how she reacted. She said, 
Just because I'm a public figure, just because I'm an actress, does not mean I asked for this. It does not mean that it comes with the territory. It's my body. It should be my choice. And the fact that it is not my choice is absolutely disgusting. I can't believe we even live in this kind of world. Anne Helen Peterson writes that her response revealed just how flimsy and how oversimplistic the cool girl image built around her was in the first place. Lawrence could be easygoing, yes, but she could also be filled with unmitigated rage. Lawrence's anger at the violation was completely warranted, yet I recall reading in the profile, experiencing a flicker of annoyance. Maybe she should just calm down. I'd internalized the very ideologies that make the cool girl so popular, namely that an angry woman is an unseemly woman, even if that anger is justified. Yeah, yeah. I remember that too, and everyone was, not everyone, but it kind of, there was kind of this big media reaction of like, well, she took the pictures and she posted them, like she put them in the cloud, like what is she so mad about? Yeah. <laughs> Which is and ridiculous. She looks sexy on screen and it's not a problem. Why is right. this a problem? There was so much victim-blaming bullshit around that. There really was. This J-Law, this, her kind of cool girl persona shows how the cool girl can be a prison When she does very serious things like advocating for equal pay for women actresses or being a vocal supporter of Time's Up, it isn't treated as serious. And again, as she ages, her cool girl antics like tripping on the red carpet or or being fun, loud, drunk can appear more sloppy than cool. Exactly. Peterson writes, After all, coolness, at least in this configuration, is contingent on youth, on carelessness, on asking other people not to take you seriously because you don't take yourself seriously on the performance of total sexual availability, on the ability to effortlessly maintain your figure while eating anything and everything, attention increasingly difficult to sustain past the age of 29. And again, it goes to show how unsustainable being a cool girl is because it just, you, you can't do it forever. And as, particularly for an actress, as she ages, if she continues to give society what they wanted, like, society wanted this this version of, of Jennifer Lawrence. Like, we loved her for it. We adored her for it. If she continues to give us what we want past 29, 30, it will only make her seem, you know, sloppy or... Kind of desperate. Right. Yeah. And it just, it just goes to show what a trap it is. Like, you can't win. Yeah. If you're Anne Hathaway, people hate you. If you're Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence, people hate you. It doesn't matter what version of femininity you perform. We're all hated in the end. Yeah. I... I have sometimes acted. I am no jail. <laughs> but I have felt this pressure of, like, once you reach 30, there's this just shift in, like, how you have to behave and roles that you're going to be getting as if this is suddenly, oh, <laughs> old age. In a way, I have felt bad for J-Law in a sense that she's definitely really good at this persona, and maybe it is her, and she's just, like, mastered being herself or whatever it may be, but I, I feel like there's kind of a feedback loop where then the internet made it more than it was. Mm-hmm. And so she was trying to live up to, like, what the internet, what image the internet created of her because she was so, like, everywhere for a while, memeable. You wanted to be, like, J-Law. And I'm not sure how much of that has played into, like, some of these cracks. I I, I kind of felt in a stupid way I was worried for her because I'm like, there's no way anyone can live up to this. Well, that's basically what she says. Um, it doesn't actually sound like being a cool girl is that fun for her. And she she expresses the exact kind of anxiety that you're pointing out. On Oprah, she said, all of a sudden it was, they're going to get sick of me. That's when all my insecurity came. I've probably been more insecure after the last year. And I don't know if that's just a feeling of, I've got more to lose. I have more people to disappoint. 
And so I see what you're saying. I mean, it does seem like, at least for her, this cool girl persona that the internet loved and that we celebrated and affirmed, it's a trap because she has to be more and more kind of cooler and cooler and cooler, lest she disappoint all these people who have built her up to be this cool girl. Yeah, whether she she wanted to or not. She's by no means the first nationally visible cool girl. There was Olivia Munn, Olivia Wilde, Mila Kunis. <laughs> but the cool girl has a genealogy that traces all the way back to silent Hollywood. Famous cool girls are women who became stars during periods of societal anxiety over increasing freedoms for women. And as people quietly wondered whether women, once emancipated, would become homely, castrating bitches. Cool girls have been proof positive that a woman could be liberated and progressive, yet pleasing to men, both in appearance and action. And again, it's all about pleasing the men. Like, calm down, men. It's okay. (laughs) As we get more freedoms, it's still cool. It's okay. So many things in society are weirdly about men and their hang-ups. You know, entire personas for women— Pockets on jeans. There are so many things that end up being because men be stressing, men <laughs> men be hung up. Yeah, we're just trying to calm everyone down. And it's funny that women get the, the unfair label of being dramatic and, and this and that. And actually, so much of society is dictated on men's hang-ups. Yeah. And yet we are the ones who are stereotypically thought of as dramatic or whatever. So where does this come from? So there are a couple of different theories. One idea is that because society pushes women to be competitive with other women, some women end up thinking that they will be rewarded by forging closeness with men. So again, think about the women that we mentioned earlier, women who say things like, I only have male friends because women are too much drama. Or little Annie who picked the blue cookie over the pink cookie just yeah. instinctively because she thought that associating with, with maleness and, and male-perceived things was going to be better for her. Canadian women's rights advocate Julia S. Lalonde writes, Women are socialized to be competitive to other women, and we can't deny that we carry that around with us our whole lives. There's this idea that if you distance yourself from women and align yourself with men, not only will they, quote, choose you over other women, but they will treat you with the same respect they show their friends. It's a phenomenon known as proximity to power, the idea that aligning yourself with a person or group in power will give you access to said power. Yeah, my friend who, the not like other girls' friends, I think she did it for a couple of reasons, but one was definitely kind of a, yeah, power, trying to have this power. She was kind of afraid of being labeled like a feminist, and I think she knew that instinctively on some level that it was, like, she was going to get more acceptance this way. It's funny that you say that, and it doesn't make me feel good to admit this. In my early days of feminism, I definitely performed a kind of cool girl feminism, where I would say, oh, I'm not a feminazi. I'm not, you know, I'm not some man hater. I'm cool, you know. I just want equal rights, bro. You know, I thought that this would make feminism seem more palatable to men and that my, like, budding feminism would not keep me from being, like, popular or ostracized. I think think about myself in, like, early college was the first time that I was ever really around men on a regular basis because I went to all-girls school. But that was really when I was trying to figure out how do you socialize with men. I just like, didn't have a sense of like how you socialize with men who are not blood relatives. And I did go through a phase of you have to be one of the guys. You have to be cool. And even if you are into the whole women's rights thing, you have to say it in a way that's not threatening. Feminism should be threatening, right? Like yeah. feminism is about questioning the status quo. Sometimes it's hard to do that and also look cool and effortless and chill because I'm not chill about inequality and you shouldn't be chill about inequality. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay to get 
fucking pissed about some of the things that are going on in our world. If you're chill about it, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. I went to school, I went to college at Georgia Tech, which when I went was over 75% male student population. One of the reasons that that was one of the reasons I went because I stupidly was like, oh, there'll be a lot of dudes for me to pick from. And when I first got there, it was also kind of my, I I didn't go to an all-girls school, but this was my first, like, I'm on the hunt, and there's all these guys. I was the only female on my dorm floor, and I did feel kind of a pressure. Like, I'm the only woman here. I got to fit in. I got to be cool. And I wanted all the, the dudes who were generally kind of nerdy to accept me and to think that I was cool. And I remember, like, being proud of the fact that all these men were thought I was cool for my freshman year. But that quickly went away just because (laughs) many failures in dating, many failures. This isn't working. This isn't for me. (laughs) But I think it helped that your anecdote really helps us understand that being friends with the guys just to be friends with the guys is not the way to do it. I mean, if you click with them, that's one thing. But we shouldn't be trying to force ourselves to be seen as worthy of their friendship or something because we think it's going to be make us somehow more powerful than like being with a bunch of friends that are women. And I say this as someone who has a lot of male friends. Yeah. It's a huge red flag to me when someone says they don't like hanging out with women. I'm like, women are awesome. They are. I left college. The friends I still stay in touch with are almost all women, which from a school that is 75% male, I'm glad I found I found a group. They were rad. Are they nerdy? <laughs> Actually, I was kind of the nerd in the whole group. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I mean, that's so perfect because you can establish relationships, whether they're platonic or romantic, on other things other than shared interests. Shared interests are not the only thing that generate a good vibe with the relationship, whether it's a friend or whatever. And so the fact that you you are the nerd in your group, you guys click on things that are not related to your interests. Yeah. Yeah. We made it work. Yeah, you made it work. We did. <laughs> And I had a friend who, this next part that we're going to talk about, it it makes me think of her because she went into sports announcing. And I met her in college, and she's so cool. But females working in the sports world, there very much is this pressure to be the cool girl. And she has talked about that. Like, just to, you have to be that because it is sort of seen as this male world. Like, we let you into our world. You better not annoy us. Yeah, you have to fit in to that. Ugh. Right. As a woman involved in sports, it's almost a choice that you make to get ahead in your career, I would imagine, to be cool girl. Because, you know, if you're not cool girl, I'm really reminded of Jamel Hill on yeah. ESPN, who, you know, I think she's a cool girl, but she makes noise about white supremacy. She calls out sexism. She calls out Trump. All of these things are pretty unchill. And I think that the expectation is, is that if you're a woman in the sports world, you're just going to look pretty, say sports stuff, and keep your mouth shut. And she doesn't do that. And I think that there's probably a lot of pressure for women in sports to perform a very particular kind of femininity. And if they don't, have their career be threatened. Sports writer Julie DeCaro writes, Women who work in sports are supposed to be hot, but not high maintenance, outspoken, but not political, knowledgeable, but not so much as to threaten the guys. The sports media landscape is littered with cool girls trying to master this high-wire act. Some are cool girls for career advancement. Some are cool girls simply to survive. Either way, the cool girl is more accepted by fans than other embodiment of women in sports media. Women working in sports media who speak openly about equality and feminism 
are harder to sell in public. As one man in the industry said to me, no one wants a buzzkill on their TV. And it's probably not difficult to imagine how it goes over when a woman tells a male colleague that their sexist jokes and objectification of women in the workplace are inappropriate. And so the cool girl thrives, often leaving a trail of regular girl bodies in her wake. I wonder if no one wants a buzzkill on their TV. He'd say that about a, a male sports reporter. There are so many male buzzkills on my TV. Yeah. So many of them. So many. <laughs> right. and, and like, it's just fine. We yeah. have to put up with it. Yeah. Dennis Miller? Yeah, Dennis Miller. I mean, think about I just think the bar is so much lower, not just in sports, but in general. The bar is so much lower for men, for so many things, obviously. But I think it's especially true for sports journalism. Yeah, yeah. Because Dennis Miller sucks. And he ruined Monday Night Football. You heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> oh, he can at me, Dennis Miller. Bridget <laughs> is not having it. <laughs> he has a podcast now. This can be our new podcast feud. Oh, yeah. We're always looking for a podcast yeah. feud. But in a, you know... Chill way. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a real chill feud. Yeah, it'll be like a laid-back feud here at Stuff I've Never Told You. There's some really great advice for not feeling trapped by needing to be a cool girl from Man Repeller's Haley Nauman. A friend sent an unflattering picture of her to a group chat, and it bummed her out. But she played it off like it didn't bother her. Quote, When I finally revisited the text in my mind, I felt so frustrated. Not at the friend who sent it. It wasn't out of malice but at all the little factors that made my response feel so familiar. I felt heavy with the realization that he could never truly understand why a text like that could make me feel powerless. It was a dark path to go down, an arguably benign exchange, but on that particular day, for no particular reason, I felt so tired of playing it cool. In the weeks since that day, I've been thinking a lot about that voice in my head, the one that urges me to be amenable, to play it just the right amount of casual, to respond in a way I've deemed stable and correct instead of the way that feels most honest. It's baked into most of us, the shying away from overly emoting. I don't know where we learned it, but it seems we've all privately agreed it's kind of lame to appear to anything. Excited, happy, touchy, sensitive, angry, whatever. In case you need reminding, because evidently I still do from time to time, you can say f*** off to that voice whenever you want to. You don't have to play it cool. You don't have to act like the person that said that thing didn't hurt you. You don't have to act like you're confident when you don't feel like it or like you're fine when really you're boiling over. If someone says something that makes you feel small, you don't have to pack it in your proverbial lunchbox and carry it around in your gut. That doesn't have to be your responsibility. Your response can be the messy one that makes everyone uncomfortable, even you. Sometimes that might feel better than protecting your reputation. It could be worth it, the freedom of turning off all of those filters. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. So first of all, I love that it's the exchange starts with something that she admits is benign. Yeah. Because we all have moments where someone says something and they didn't mean it in that way, but we, it, for whatever reason, it hits us in that way and it hurts us, it makes us feel powerless, it tears us down. And the cool girl thing to do would just be to laugh it off, but it's so much more authentic to be true to yourself, and if, that, if something hurt you or you have a feeling about something, it's okay to express it, and it's okay to be the person that makes everyone uncomfortable. I'm reminded of this exchange in Amy Poehler's autobiography, Yes, Please. She's in the writer's room with Jimmy Fallon, and they're goofing around, and she does some bit, and he says to her in a joking manner, I don't think that's cute at all. And th what she does in that moment is she is in a swivel chair, she spins around, and she says, I don't care if you think it's cute. That 
exchange, she describes it as the whole room getting uncomfortable, but that it was important to her to remind her coworker that she's not there to be cute. And even though he was joking around with her and didn't mean it like that and blah, 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 she chose to be authentic to how she felt and call it out. Probably made her look like the weird, crazy girl. And that's okay. Yeah. We're all like that sometimes. We're all like that sometimes. Yes. I also think it's interesting to note that cool girl may be something that we sort of grow out of and age out of because I certainly was more hung up on being a cool girl in my teens and 20s. But now that I'm in my 30s, yeah, I'm not a cool girl and I'm actually really uncool and unchill and I want to have a long conversation about what this means and I want to send you a long-ass text that's like, well, I know I said I was dumb, but I have eight more texts, you know. (laughs) As I've gotten older... That, you know, the sports writer we quoted earlier called it a high wire act. And as I've gotten older, I just don't have the patience for the high wire act. If I'm not cool, I'm not cool. And if I'm not chill, I'm not chill. But sometimes I am upset or being emotional or having a response to something or, you know, being too much of something, too needy, too loud, too this, too that. I've accepted it about myself. And I only want people in my orbit who are okay with it too. Yeah. It's exhausting to to be the cool girl. And I think once you've done it for a while and you realize how exhausting it is, kind of wipe your hands of it and hopefully become more comfortable with being who you are and that who you are is a, a person who has a multidimensional, complicated person that cannot be pinned down into one stereotype or trope. Exactly. This Jezebel piece, I think, makes that point so beautifully. She writes, But that girl, she grows up and learns that it's better to be real than to be cool. And without suggesting the end result is for everybody to pair off and settle down, most people do mellow with age. And they do settle, just more easily into their own complexities, more easily into something less prone to typecasting. Which is probably why I don't know a single woman in her 30s, 40s, or beyond who is at all like the cool girls I knew in my 20s and still see from a distance. At this age... They are serious and fun, masculine and feminine, simple and complicated, transparent and elusive. You know, just people. And I think that really nails it, that we are just people. Women are just people, and we're complex. We, we are vast. We contain multitudes. We need to be allowed to express and have comfort with the full range of who we are, whether that's messy and annoying and it's calling you at 3 a.m. after you already went to bed and they said they were done with the conversation, but they had one more thing they just got to add real quick, or they're drinking a beer, right? Like, we need to be okay with whatever that expression looks like. And I think that I want I want women to feel okay with the vast range of, of their expressions of self and not feel like parts of themselves are less okay because they're too much, too annoying, too naggy, too this, too that to be authentic to who we are and be, and be okay with it. Yeah. I remember in this acting class I took once uh, my, my professor's head. Uh, he's always found that women at first, when they're new to acting, have a lot of trouble expressing anger and sadness. And he, he was saying, I think it's because they're socialized not to express that. And he would have like these exercises for women to try to try to get more comfortable expressing that, which is, I think, true that we are, yeah, we have kind of these fears societally around women being too emotional, and but also personally. As you get older, I think, I mean, looking back 
at the person I was when I was 20. She <laughs> very different. Learned a lot. Yeah, so hopefully we can we we can sort of move away from this thing and the the need to be this type of girl. I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> I think as a recovering cool girl, I think you put it very very accurately. And I think it's interesting to note that we've seen cool girl in books like Gone Girl and in movies and on the big screen and small screen. Now we're actually seeing it in music. Swedish pop singer Tove Lowe actually recorded a song called Cool Girl inspired by the concept. So we wanted to give you a little taste of that at the end of the show. Yes. But for now, now that we've really dissected this <laughs> cool girl thing, <laughs> um, let's, let's read some listener mail. Okay, so this first one is from Allison. Allison wrote, I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for your podcast tackling the issues around social media, diet fads, and their link to eating disorders. As someone who suffered from anorexia nervosa for over a decade, I couldn't have agreed more with what you said. I know for a fact when I was consumed with my eating disorder, no amount of health warnings, negative reviews, or bad publicity could have discouraged me from buying anything that would help me lose weight, especially if a hot celebrity was endorsing it. Kim Kardashian's post was disgustingly ignorant, and I can guarantee many sick and vulnerable girls have now bought those stupid lollipops because of it. I know I would have. Another thing, Bridget, when you said that your cousins as young as 10 are worried about their weight, that hit me hard. I work in child protection and have a lot of traumatized children in my care. One little girl already sticks her fingers down her throat and throws up her meals when she thinks her belly is too, quote, round. <sighs> She's five years old. This has stemmed from her mother being so obsessed with social media influences and diet fads that she's displayed this unhealthy behavior in front of her daughter, who is now doing it too. I think it goes to show that these kids don't even have to be seeing the content, such as Kim Kardashian's lollipop ad, to be deeply affected by it secondhand. Sorry for the rant. This topic hits close to home, but I really commend you for talking about it. It really isn't discussed enough. Mm. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me that it can sort of you can sort of have secondhand. A trickle down. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more powerful than than we realize, and it starts really young, and we certainly do need to talk about it more. So thank you so much for sharing that with us, Allison. Ivy wrote, I was born to a Mexican immigrant mother who crossed the border illegally in her childhood to meet up with my grandmother, who had already gotten legal permission to be here in California. My mom came from a tiny village. Her biological father did not stick around to be part of the family. What's more, my own father was a pretty abusive presence in her and my and my brother's life until she left him. Throughout her life, my mother worked tirelessly and obtained her master's in business and retired at the super young age of 58. I watched that boss woman bust her ass each day of my life and never once missed having a dad in my own life because of the presence of such a strong female. My mother-in-law shares a similar story to my own mother in that she fled Iran during the major regime shift. All said, I've had some pretty amazing women in my life. In my own journey, I adopted a pretty classic view of feminism. A do-what-you-want, get-yourself-educated, you-don't-need-no-man-and-you-are-not-your-looks kind of thing. I am now 29, married, and have a two-and-a-half-year-old boy, and I am six months pregnant with a girl. Congrats. I am now a sixth-grade teacher and finishing up my master's in reading and language arts. For all intents and purposes, I have conquered many of the things I wish to conquer, from travel to a career to simply growing philosophically and as a human being. But in the last few years, I realized, hey— I'm not cut out for this kind of life. So upon the birth of my second child, I'll be staying home to raise my kids, grow our food, and care for our chickens in a tiny town with a population of under 1,000 folks. Now, the point of all this is to say 
I have hit bumps along the journey where I do question my own fulfillment of this feminist role. I think, am I setting women back because I want to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, so to speak? I grapple with this question at least once a week, but here's what I've come to believe. I never needed to prove anything to myself or anyone else. Each day, my decisions are guided by the principle that each face I come across is a beautiful one, deserving of love and reverence. And in those small exchanges of positivity, smiles at a coffee shop, conversations with strangers, a little help for a homeless friend, that is my feminism. Maybe it's unpopular to say this in 2018, but I don't feel my brand of feminism is defined by my job or lack thereof, or what I can or cannot do. I've got all the ingredients of a childhood with an abusive dad and a strong mom that set me up to be the poster child for classic feminism. But in my own journey, I realized that just focusing on myself and loving the earth and all its members, regardless of the makeup of my chromosomes, has made me the best feminist I can be. Ivy, this email kicks ass. First of all, I want to meet your your mom. She sounds amazing. She sounds like a badass boss. You sound like a badass. I love this. I love this. This. I love this. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's. I think that's great. And it, we do have, as we talked about in the episode on bad feminism. There's all this anxiety about like meeting this, this kind of impossible bar to call yourself a feminist. But to me, it's all about equality and having the choice. So, like, staying at home, if if that's a choice that you want to make, that's a perfectly legitimate and fine choice. And you've got chickens and kids. We're definitely coming over. <laughs> no, I'm like, <laughs> Hang out with those chickens. <laughs> she kind of articulates something that I've often kind of felt in my bones but never really said or never had the words to express. This idea that your social and political ideology can be expressed through very small acts throughout a quiet life well-lived. And so... You know, whether that's being kind to a neighbor on the street who needs help, whether that's smiling at someone and just taking time out of your day to be a, a light to, to someone, that can be an expression of your feminism. And it's, it's quite powerful. It seems very small, but it's quite powerful. Because you really never know, not to make myself sound like an over-emotional, unchill girl, but, you know, I've had those times where I am hanging on by a fucking thread and someone smiles at me and... It's like, it's just what I needed to like remind myself in humanity, you know, or remind myself that the world is a good place. Is someone saying something nice to me or, you know, or or witnessing someone else do it. You know, I once witnessed the kind of kid that you would look at on the street and think like, oh, this kid's up to no good. Stop and help an old woman with her groceries up up her stairs. I thought, God, you know, that was really like the reminder I needed. I was so sort of feeling so down about humanity and I I witnessed this, this kind act and it made me want to do a kind act. So... You really never know these small things, the big impact they're having. And I just love that Ivy puts it that way. I absolutely agree. And um, thanks to both of them for writing in. You too can write us. Our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. On social media, we are on Twitter at momstuff and on Instagram at momstuff. <laughs> As stuff all never told you. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. You got really close. I tried so hard. You got really close. I should have... You got really close. You got really close. Okay. Keep that. Keep this in. Dylan, keep this in. <laughs> you didn't come to my rescue, but I learned a valuable lesson for <laughs> it. I was like, no, let her do it. It's the only way I'll learn. It's the only way I'll learn. Um, thanks as always to our producer Dylan Fagan and um, Kathleen Quillian, uh, and yeah, I think we'll. This is this is it from us. Yeah, take it away, Tovlo.